Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. This idea of love is very, you, you would think it's simple, but it can be very complicated when you talk about different languages that come into scripture, as well as different languages that we have. Um, and, and how we begin to describe love can be very complicated. And so the first thing I want to do is I want to tell you a story about my friend Absolute, okay? Um, there is going to be an image on the screen. Um, and when I talk about love and when I think about love, I believe that love is disruptive. That's the word that I want you to write down if you have notes. Um, just put it in your phone. It's the only thing you got to remember about this message today is that love is disruptive, okay? Um, it will disrupt life in a good way. So let me, let me unpack all of that in the next few minutes. Absolu is our friend in Haiti. Um, he is a guy I've known for about 10 years now um, who is a pastor there. He is a leader there. Um, and he... So the ministry that we are connected with with him is called Lasting Change, and um, the ministry that he does there um, is he runs a school of about 400 kids, um, grade school, and um, the, the school also has an adult training program that helps adults get uh, computer education and basic, like Microsoft Word, um, and, and then also does, like, trade schooling, so they'd learn how to do tile work um, and different jobs, and, uh, and so what he does is he equips people, and then he also pastors, and so he travels around and speaks, um, and he has a family of his own, um, handful of kids, wife, and they live in a community where currently, so like because of this ministry that we're connected with him and supporting them and praying for him, um, I'm in a WhatsApp chat with him and uh, the board of, because I'm on the board for Lasting Change here, and what I do is I get updates from him continually of what's going on on the ground in Haiti. And currently, I don't know if you guys have heard anything about Haiti and what's going on, but it's like full upheaval. Like gangs are taking over the entire country. Um, places that used to be safe, no longer safe. Um, where he lives, we get texts, and this is where this is this is where it gets heavy for me. Is I get texts from him where he says, "We have no clean drinking water." Like, could you imagine right now? Like, you just have no clean drinking water, and then he texts us that his wife is very very sick because they are drinking dirty water. And you start to like put this in perspective, and you're like, "We just go and like pull the faucet, and we get clean water everywhere." Like, if we wanted some water, it's, it's accessible everywhere. And these are kind of the simple things that he's wrestling with as he's in the midst of being a leader in a community um, and facing all these challenges. And one of the things that, another one of those uh, WhatsApp texts that I got um, recently was gangs have taken over to where you can't travel and you can't get money from banks. And so we're like, we send him money, but he can't even get the money to get clean drink water or to get things uh, because of these gangs that have taken over. And he sent us a video of a guy who's like doing a selfie video, this gang member who's taken over the police station. 
They've kicked the police out. The police are scared, and they're running. And basically, he's like, we run this place. You know, you guys should fear us, basically. And I'm like picturing this. Like, there is nothing safe about what he's dealing with. There is nothing easy about what he's dealing with. And yet, here's the, here's the beautiful thing that I want to talk about. He's still serving. He still says, hey, can you guys pray for me? I'm trying to, like in the midst of his family being sick, he's like, I'm trying to get clean drinking water to all these, these families. And I'm trying to get this, the, the far right photo there are beans because right now is the planting season. And people have fields, but if they don't have the money to plant seeds then, or to buy seeds, they can't plant, they can't get a crop, um, which translates into no food for your family, right? And so he's like, hey, can you guys buy us beans? And I'm like, yeah, totally. So we sent $1,000 worth of uh, resources to buy beans. And now he, those are the beans that he bought. He sent us photos on this WhatsApp thread. So like, these are the kind of the, the real life things that like, I watch the challenges that he's dealing with and then the ways that he's like, we're not giving up, right? And to me, like I could end the message right now, that's love, right? Somebody who's in the midst of challenge is being allowing his life to be disrupted in a way that says, man, there are people around me that are suffering. And even though he at any moment could be like, and you could probably justify this, right? He could go, you know, I need to take care of my family and just take care of us and make sure that we're doing well, right? Like nobody would argue that. You'd be like, yeah, you totally should take care of your family. Your kids are sick. Your wife's sick. You can't get to the hospital because these gangs, you can't do anything. You're limited, right? And you'd be like, yeah, just take care of yourself. Do your thing. But yet in his mind, he's like, no, even though I'm dealing with this, I'm still going to love other people and look out for the needs of these people around me. Does that sum up love? Would you guys agree? Like someone who's willing to allow their life to be so disrupted to help other people and say, like, you know what? Like, yeah, I know I have these challenges, but I'm still going to step out. Love is disruptive. Living a life of love requires disruption, okay? The definition that our culture has of love, I probably don't need to tell you this, but it has a lot to do with feeling, doesn't it? It has a lot to do with, like, what you give to me. Like, I don't feel loved unless you've done things for me and, and I get something out of the deal and somehow there's some kind of reciprocation that happens there. But the definition of love that we see Jesus present to us is this disruptive self-sacrificial kind of love, right? And that's what I want to pack a little bit more, if you're maybe skeptical of what I'm talking about right now. So what is love? What is love? we got to, like, unpack this a little more. I'm going to show you some passages. This might get a little, like, drinking from a fire hose, but I believe that what we're going to look at here is really, really, really beautiful, okay? So the first thing I want to do is go back to the Old Testament in the Old Testament, when it talks about love, it talks about this deep commitment to God. And what I want to do is show you this little video. It's like a three-minute clip that talks about a prayer that in the Jewish culture, they still recite this morning and evening, was the prayer called Shema. And this Shema comes from Deuteronomy 6, and it's basically saying, love God with all of your life, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're not going to worship anything else. We're going to worship this one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your soul, with all your might. Full commitment. Let me share with you what this Shema means on a deeper level. Okay? Watch this clip. Check this out. 
Morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word shema. Because I believe that when we talk about love, it requires action. What God desires is not just a love that's like this hot pink Hollywood kind of love, but a love that says, I will participate in what it means to bring renewal, to bring new life to people. That there's not just a hearing of like, oh yeah, love is great, love is good, you know, it's kind, it's like, it makes me feel good. No, love is in action. It's something that begins to translate into hearing this beautiful message that Jesus brings us and putting it into practice, right? Um, and so when I see Absolute's life, I think of somebody who is fully living into that. Um, when we look at Jesus and what he talks about, when he talks about love, when we talk about this godly love versus a cultural, I don't know, feeling kind of love, uh, here's how he describes 
the value of it. Here's what he says. He says, Jesus answered in this conversation with the Pharisees. Uh, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where the Pharisees are like, what's most important? What's the thing that we need to center life around? We got the Ten Commandments. We got all these other things. And he says, this is what you do. Love God with all of your life. And this is the, uh, this is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. All of the law and the prophets and everything hangs on this. That it's loving others that is so central to what God is doing that we have to make that the priority. Jesus goes on, and as he engages with his disciples and teaches them what it means to live this life, to like follow Jesus and begin to center life around what God desires, he says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. He's like, this will be the defining factor in whether or not you are part of what God is doing or separate. Is It's all boiling down to this one thing, if you love one another. And I know this is like, if you've been around the church or if you've heard these messages, you're like, yeah, I know, we love each other, it's cool. But man, it's, that's the hardest thing I find in my personal walk to do, to like put into action is like love people all the time unconditionally. That is the hardest thing that I find to live out um, when it comes to the, the Christian walk. And, um, and so when you, when you begin to study the Gospels, you begin to look at like what Jesus talks about when he talks about love, there's so many beautiful illustrations, but the... the um, like where my mind goes to a lot of times is like the typical passage of like John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Like there's a sacrifice that took place of like, he's like, I'm gonna give my life for you. That's what we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus took on flesh and blood. Like God took on flesh and blood. Like he didn't have to come be with, come and like come from his beautiful place in eternity to be here with us. But he says, no, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I love. So I'm going to take on flesh and blood in order to show you these themes of hope, of what it means to live out peace, what it looks to like have hope and joy. And, um, and so when you look at the Gospel of John, and I would encourage you to read this if you want to go back and read just John chapter 1 and chapter 3. Um, John talks about Jesus being the light that steps into darkness. And you hear that theme, right, of light and darkness happen over and over, especially at Christmas time. Um, that the light has stepped into the darkness because he wants to set us free. That's what you see in John 10.10. 10. He says, there is evil that comes to seek and destroy and destroy life. But he says, I have come that they have life and life to the full. And there's a conversation in chapter 3 where Jesus sits with um, a guy, Nicodemus, and he basically, he has some questions. He's like, what's this whole thing about? Like, I, I'm, I'm trying to live out this life of faith, but what do you, what's different than what I've been doing? Like, what are you bringing here? And Jesus talks about this beautiful message of light and love, like those are being tied together, stepping in because so much of our lives gets consumed with loving evil. And what he says in the end of chapter three is like, People have grown accustomed to loving evil and thinking that that is flourishing, that that is good, that that's going to bring life. And he says, but I am coming to show you that there is an eternal way of living that is actually far better, and it centers around 
loving people. It centers around sacrificing yourself in order for others to do well. And Jesus models this over and over, which we're going to talk about a bit. But um, there's this, this strong sense that Jesus is like, no, above all else, love. It's the most important thing that he emphasizes. And, and he goes on to kind of describe that there will be a cost, that it's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your effort. It's going to cost you part of your day, right? Um, maybe some of your resources, your finances, um, some of your energy, that there's going to be a cost involved. And Jesus models that in he gave up every kind of possible um, prideful, arrogant thing that he could be doing, any kind of image concern. He was all about loving others, right? In a culture where men did not talk to women, Jesus broke that barrier and just said, no, I'm talking to women. Like, I'm including women in what's happening here. He went in and challenged the Pharisees, the leaders of that time, because of their pride. He wasn't scared just to say the honest, truthful thing about what was going on there and expose it. Um, He went and healed people. He touched lepers, right? People that everybody else would say, you don't go and touch those people. You don't hang out with those people. Jesus went and actually engaged and brought healing. Um, That models to me a a sacrifice, a life of sacrifices. I'm just going to love unconditionally, right? And yet, today, we're like, we want Jesus, but we don't want the cost, Right? Like, we want to follow Jesus, we want that eternal life, we want all the good things, but we don't want the cost that comes with that. Um, I'm just maybe speaking for myself, because I know it's challenging. It requires something of us. Um, And so, when Jesus says, you'll be known by your love for one another, I think that that is so crucial, so crucial in understanding really what this love is all about. So... um, I brought with me today this phone. Does anybody recognize this phone? The original, some of you guys are like, I've never even seen that before. This is the original iPhone. I found it in my drawer. We were cleaning out our house this week. And um, in order to understand love a little bit more, I want to talk about planned obsolescence. Have you guys heard of that term? Maybe you've been around... um, yeah, that's what our junk drawer looks like. Um, I, I just stole it offline. But um, in the manufacturing industry, there is a thing, and it's not, you can't fault people because new technology comes out and new ways of doing things comes out. But there's this thing called planned obsolescence that companies will do where they're like, we have the ability to make a phone that's indestructible. We're not going to do that because that would hurt us in the long term because we need you to drop your phone and buy a new one next year, right? If, if phone companies made phones that lasted forever and had exactly everything you needed, um, would you ever buy another one? No. I think I've bought probably 10 between here and there, right? Like, I don't know, maybe not. Um, but I've definitely had a lot of phones in between this one that I had back in the day, which is kind of cool. It actually feels pretty rad. Um, The planned obsolescence requires that we come back and buy more and spend more of our hard-earned money to fund companies that want to keep slowly releasing out new technology just a little bit, even though they have the technology probably to do a lot more than they could. Um, 
but it doesn't work out in their best interest, right? So when you think about planned obsolescence from a company's perspective, they're just like, we're going to make something that'll definitely fail within a year so that you have to come back and spend more money in a year so that we benefit. Not us as consumers. We don't benefit. We keep forking over money. They benefit over and over and over. And what I want to pitch is that like, I think relationships can be like this. That our idea of love can be like this, right? That if I don't get anything in return, there's kind of a planned obsolescence built into relationships. That if in a relationship, if, like I'm, if our relationship is built on me and you hang out and I constantly get something from you in return, um, and that's what I'm depending on, then that relationship's bound to fail the moment you stop loving me or stop giving me what I needed, right? Does that make sense? You guys track with me? Have you guys ever had a friendship where somebody liked you because of what you had? <laughs> Maybe you have to go back to like being a kid um, or hung out with you because of what you had or what you contributed to them. Um, I believe that a true love doesn't require something from someone else, right? That there's no planned obsolescence, that there's not going to be a sense that if you no longer give me something in return um, or if I don't get anything out of this relationship, it's ending. It's over. Um, maybe a better example is like now that it's Christmas, when you give gifts, you have an expectation of what? receiving, or yeah, the, like when you give someone a gift, like the expectation is that you get something in return, right? Maybe you guys are better than me. <laughs> the, begin to watch what happens during Christmas time and your feelings around when someone gives you a gift. Do you feel obligated to return the gift? Don't answer, don't blow your cover, I'm sorry. Don't, keep that, keep this silent. I think we all understand that if you give a gift out of joy because you genuinely love the person, you want to see them uh, enjoy this thing that you want to give to them, that that's authentic, right? There's something real about that. But if someone gives you a gift and you feel obligated to give gifts back, there's something in that that now is kind of tainted. And when we talk about love, I believe that that begins to get at what it looks like to live a sacrificial kind of love that says, I want to give to people because I genuinely care about them and I want to see them be blessed. Um, and I'm not going to do the obligatory thing. And I'm not going to feel guilty for that because that would just be fake, right? Um, there's something about it, I believe, when we begin to get to the core of really what it means to love people and to be the generous kind of people um, that is this radical, disruptive kind of love that Jesus invites us into. Um, Paul talks about love, so I want to I give you guys a little description of love to give you guys another visual of this. Um, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about what love looks like and how it's lived out and how it can be fake, like we just talked about. And he says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I don't know if you've ever heard a clanging cymbal or someone just like beating on a uh, cymbal just over and over with no beat at all. Does that sound good? No, it's like piercing to your ears and you're like, stop. I'd almost do it, but I don't want to do it. Um, I believe that that 
starts to capture it a little bit, where he's just like, I can do loving things, I can do great things, but if it's just without love, then it's missing the point. It's just a resounding gong, clanging symbol. If I give the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, this is where it gets real, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You can even serve the poor and the outcast, the least of these, and do very generous, awesome things, but if you don't have love for those people, you're literally just doing it for yourself in a, in a way, right? And he's like, not about that. It goes on, he starts to describe love, and you hear this at weddings all the time, which is, it applies to relationships and weddings, but it's really like, this is, this is the Christian faith. This is what we're invited into. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Ouch. Right? It is not self-seeking. Like, this is, this is where we start to really get at, like, the nuts and bolts of, like, really what love is. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Oh, my gosh. Um, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in, with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. How good is that? Like, that's the definition of, like, the best friend you could have, right? The best relationship you could have. The kind of people that I think every single one of us in this room would desire to become or to have around us. Imagine if you had somebody that was constantly just, like, concerned about the needs of others, like keeps no records of the wrongs that you've done. That would feel good, right? Oh my gosh. Wouldn't delight in evil, but always about truth, always protecting, always trusting, not prideful, not envious, always wanting to see you succeed in life and do well. Like there's something so beautiful about that. Like it just resonates with my soul. And yet, at the same time, maybe you can, can uh, connect with this. Like, it's really challenging to live into that. But this, at the same time, I hear that and I go, man, I fall short of all of that, right? Let's just rewind this week. I'm sure there's a moment where one of us or one of those things resonates with all of us, right? But what Jesus does, he invites us into this beautiful process where he's like, I'm not expecting you to be perfect right now. What I'm expecting you to do is engage and fall in love with living this kind of life. And then it'll become more and more natural. The same way that a baseball player doesn't hit home runs right off the bat. Or soccer players do not, football players, let me correct it, Argentinian ones, do not hit goals like they did this morning just out of nowhere. That comes from practice. That comes from engaging in a sport that you love, right? What Jesus invites us into, he says, I want to invite you into a way of life that you love, that you begin to learn how to be less envious, how to be less prideful, how to begin to be more grace-filled when it comes to your relationships with people. And man, that is so good, right? Like that's, that's what gets me excited about lighting this candle. It's like we're invited into that. Like we get to be part of that. When I think of Absolute's life, 
in the midst of suffering and challenge and hardship and the craziest scenario. Like, like I would be crippled with fear living where he lives right now. And yet he's still loving, still like giving up of his life in order for others to do better, right? It's disruptive. It's super disruptive. It challenges us. It like moves us in a way that like it's not always comfortable. And it's so disruptive to the comfort that we have at times. I want to share a quick story of an illustration that um, we see in Mark chapter 2 where a group of friends bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. There's a group of them that have their paralyzed friend on a mat. There's such a large crowd around Jesus in this home. And it's like says it's filling out into the courtyards of this home that nobody can get to Jesus, but they know that if they can get their paralyzed friend to Jesus, it will transform his life. Their faith, these four friends, leads them to disrupt their lives, to give up of their afternoon, to say, we want to make sure our friend finds healing, to where they carry him, so they had to have gone to his house, they carry him on his mat to Jesus, but they can't get to him, so they climb up on the roof, picture trying to get somebody on the roof, and then they tear the roof apart, and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. Think about how disruptive that is for these four friends. Think about how committed they are to like seeing their friend do well. That they're like, we want to bring him in front of Jesus. That they disrupt their agenda, their life, their afternoon. Everything is about their friend, right? And here it gets even better. So they lower him down, and they're like, can you do something? And Jesus' response is, I see your faith. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And this is where it gets weird, where we're like, Sins, Like, what does that have to do with him being paralyzed? And the response from the Pharisees and the onlookers and the people were like, who is this guy to forgive sins? They don't even, they're not even concerned about the paralyzed guy. They're just like, who is this guy to do that? And Jesus' response is just like, you are healed, go, take up your mat and walk. What's easier for me to do, to like say your sins are forgiven or to say that you can get up and walk away? And what Jesus was doing in that moment, here's what I believe, is that, He was getting at the core need for relationship being reconciled, that love entering into that relationship and into his life is more important than his physical condition. But yet it still brought healing. And I think that that is the core of what it means to be a believer, is to say, I'm going to put God first, right? Like he's not, he's not, discrediting the physical condition that needs healing, but he starts with the spiritual condition. He's like, your sins are forgiven. We are reconciled. There's healing now when it comes to the most important thing, that is how we love one another. Now you're healed in like the core of who you are rather than just your physical. We'll always have physical challenges. There's always going to be things, especially as I get older. Um, But what Jesus says is like, I want to focus on the thing that The thing beneath the thing beneath the thing, right? The thing that drives and motivates who we are as human beings. The thing that drives absolute to continue to love people is life is good with me and God. Like shalom has been restored. Peace has been restored. 
Like the right relationship motivates and drives everything. And what I want to do is close with this thought. Um, I was challenged by a, um, a message that I heard this week. Um, and it, it's kind of where this whole like idea of like being disrupted came from. And um, this guy, I don't know if you've heard him, you can look him up. He's got amazing podcasts. I can link it up in the, the show notes today, but in the notes for, um, for the message. Um, his name's John Tyson. And he talks about what true love looks like, which was perfect timing. Um, and, and he starts to begin to look at like how simple acts, very simple day-to-day acts begin to demonstrate really where our heart is. Like a lot of times we think of love as being like these big grand dramatic events where like someone's given someone a million dollars and like, yeah, I've transformed your life. But what he proposes is like, it's the small, simple day-to-day acts that begin to really demonstrate who we love, right? The daily little moment-to-moment things that we do with our children, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, all these different things, that those are the things that begin to demonstrate this redemptive love that Jesus is bringing and inviting us to participate in. Um, I'm going to read what he, what he wrote when it talks about these very small, insignificant things, but that when we begin to surrender to God, that this is what begins to happen. He says, it's in the hidden life, which the hidden life is a lot of times these unseen ways that we love people. He says, in the hidden life of playing with your kids when you're too tired and have nothing left in the tank is what the father loves, right? Ever been too tired to love people? Yes, we've all been there. It's in the hidden life of serving your spouse or roommate or someone that you live with when they are exhausted and overwhelmed that the father loves, It's in the hidden life of prayer and devotion when you want to watch the game or zone out on social media that the Father loves. It's in the hidden life of sacrificial generosity when you'd rather go buy another gadget (laughs) than the... uh, It's that that the Father loves when we begin to deny those things and just say, you know what, I want to be more consumed with what he's doing. Let's resolve to be people who live in that secret place. Let's be people who resolve to say, I want to live a loving life in the small, insignificant things of daily life, in things that people probably don't even notice sometimes, right? Um, We want strength to do that. And what I want to do is close with this prayer um, by Sir Francis Drake. I've shared this many times with you guys, but I believe that this consumes what we're talking about and describes so well what we're talking about because he talks about being disturbed, disrupted, and transformed in a way that is good. So disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when the abundance of things we possess We have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. 
Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. Where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizon of our hopes and to push us into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. This we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we be motivated by the love of God to love people in the mundane, small, seemingly insignificant parts of our week as we go into the rest of this day and the rest of this week. Amen? That's my challenge to us, myself included, because I know it's going to be difficult. So let me pray over us. Lord, we need your strength. We know it's difficult at times when we are confronted with challenging situations, challenging um, maybe people, um, maybe relationships. Um, the weight of so many different things can, can deter us from loving. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us supernatural strength. Give us strength to love in those moments where we are at the end of our rope or we are tired or we are burnt out, whatever it is, Lord. I pray that you would fill our cup, that we would rely on your strength each moment of every day as we go into this week. Not because we want to look holy or somehow righteous uh, or loving even, but because we know that you loved us and that you long for us to bring love to others that so desperately, desperately need love. Thank you for the love that you pour out on us. Help us to be mindful of it. 